You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. I beat Stop Singer. Toss on off the first. In time to get seven. Three-run homer. Robinson can off the lefty specialist, Fernando Abad. And the Mariners lead it five to four. Goodbye baseball. Straight away center field. Cano and Cruz go back to back. And the king, when the Mariners needed him the most, two hits over seven. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Hey, welcome back. Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Thanks for being here. At Mariners pod on Twitter. At Gary Hill Jr. Mariners taking on the Oakland A's in game three of the series. And we have all the exciting action coming for you. Uh, Coming for you. Coming up for you. It's not coming for you. Don't worry. Don't be alarmed. Uh... Bergman was outstanding in the ball game yesterday, so we'll get to that. Also coming up, Rick Riz sits down with former Mariners coach and skipper John McLaren. They share some 40th anniversary memories. John McLaren, of course, was coaching uh, coaching for the Mariners during that 95 run, so they talk about some Mariners history. That comes up. Mark Mulder was a guest of Aaron Goldsmith, and it's really great. He talks about... The long, long winning streak for the Oakland A's and talks about Edgar Martinez and what it was like facing Edgar, something I think you'll enjoy. So that comes up in a few minutes as well. But let's get to the ball game. The Mariners coming off of a very tough loss in game two of the series against the A's. A lead late, couldn't hold it, and the A's ended up evening the series at one game apiece. The Mariners looking to take the series in the game last night. Bergman on the hill, and uh, this is what you have to love about baseball. The Mariners come into the ball game using the bullpen a ton. In the month of May, 56 and two-thirds innings thrown by the pen. That's nearly the most in baseball, fourth most in baseball in the month of May behind just the Cubs, the Blue Jays, and Baltimore. And it's it's really close. The Cubs, 65 innings. After that, the other three teams, very close. But they've used the bullpen a ton. They really could use a long start, some innings from their starter, and they got it. Bergman was just sensational in the ballgame. The 0-2 swing and a miss by Canna for strike three. Six strikeouts for Christian Bergman, and that's it for the Athletics in the top of the fifth inning. He is one away from his career high. Here's the 2-2. Strike three called. Christian Bergman freezes him on an off-speed pitch. That is three consecutive strikeouts for Christian Bergman, who has tied a career high with seven strikeouts. The 1-2. Swing and a tick back right to the glove of Gozuish, who holds on. Strikeout number eight, a career high for Christian Bergman here tonight against the Oakland A's. Here's the 2-2 and a swing and a foul tip into the glove of Tuffy Gosiewicz for strike three. And that is strikeout number nine for Christian Bergman. One away for the A's here in the top of the eighth inning. So Bergman continues to add on to his career high strikeouts. And that was a fastball up and away. Here comes Scott Service and that is going to be it for Christian Bergman. A tremendous outing tonight. 
for the right-hander Christian Bergman. A career-high seven and a third innings, a career-high nine strikeouts in the ball game, and how about this ovation of 14,000 plus here at Safeco Field to appreciate what Bergman did today. And he deserved it. I mean, what a ball game. Seven and a third innings, two hits, no runs, two walks, and nine punch-outs. And this was his career best start in just about every way you could draw it up. Seven and a third innings, his career high. His previous high was six and a third, August 24th in 2014 for the Rockies in a start against Miami. So an inning, a full inning more than his previous high. He allowed just two hits in the ball game. That ties for the fewest he's given up in a ball game. The other time he did it was a start against Arizona in August uh, of 2014. Gave up two hits in five and a third innings. No runs. The only time he's done that was a start in 2015 against the Giants, but he only pitched four innings in that one. So seven and a third, quite a bit different. And nine punch outs. That's his best by two. Twice he fanned seven in a start. Last time was against the Cubs in 2016. His actual last start for the Rockies, the 16th of April, 2016, fans seven Cubs. So a start, I mean, good for him, great for him, great for the Mariners. Bullpen got some rest. Pazos came on to finish it out, an inning and two-thirds, and he was very sharp, and he did that on 19 pitches. Bergman, by the way, 106 pitches, first time he's ever crossed over 100 pitches in a start as well. But just a fabulous start for Bergman. Here's what he had to say after the ball game. Well, I guess it's hard to sum it up in just a few words, but, uh, you know, command was a lot better than it was last time. Um, had command of three pitches. Um, was able to locate well, and Tuffy called a great game up back there and uh, played good defense and scored some runs, so it was good all around. Chris, what has changed? I mean, you, you were really good in Tacoma this year, but also before you came up. I mean, what's is it just getting out of cores? What's what's what what had changed this year? Um, yeah, you know, I I can't really give you a def- definitive answer there. Uh, I made some small mechanical adjustments. I think it helps me um, stay on top of the ball a little better. But you know, nothing really drastic. I don't really know, you know, how to answer that. <laughs> What was that focus point tonight? Because you talked about the work that you put in between last start and this start mechanically. Yeah, um, just staying on top of the ball a little better. Um, when, I, when I get on top of it, I am able to get a better angle on the ball, and it doesn't run off the plate as much. Um, so just a small little adjustment like that, and it pays dividends on all all my different pitches. Was it also what led to those first pitch strikes? There's a number of them. Yeah, that, that definitely helps. It's a lot easier when you're ahead in the count. Um, kind of put them on the defensive, so that makes it a lot easier. Were you a shortstop in your previous life? <laughs> I did play shortstop in high school. It's kind of funny. I had, I've had three plays just like that this year, so I've kind of had to practice. <laughs> did your teammates say anything after that? Your infielders say anything after that play? Um, I asked uh, Seeger over there if that's how he does it. He said, he said I did it a little better, but I don't believe him. That sounds right. <laughs> hey, you knew the situation with the bullpen today. How do you take that into account when you're going into the start? Um, you know, it, it doesn't change my approach, really. I just know I have to go out and be efficient no matter what. Um, that's always my goal is to get deep in the game, so it didn't change a whole lot there. you got to know that, that there's some guys breathing a little easier when, 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 you, when you go deeper and kind of helping out the bullpen there. 
Yeah, you know, it was definitely beneficial. We'd, we'd uh, been using some guys a lot out there, so it definitely helped overall. The numbers say it was a career-high night in a few different categories. Did it feel like that on the mound? Uh, yeah. It, when I'm when I'm striking guys out, if I strike out five or six in a game, it feels like ten. So, it, uh, you know, it's not something I normally do. But, uh, you know, I felt like a lot tonight, so it was, it was a good night. How did it feel to get that standing ovation when you, when you did come out? felt awesome. You know, I, I love pitching here. The fans here are great. You know, it's only been a couple times, but, uh, you know, I really appreciate that. Standing ovation, well-deserved. Uh, Mariners didn't get a ton going offensively, four runs on six hits, but they got the big hit when they really needed it. Here's the pitch. One on chopper, back up the middle, into center field for a base hit. Powell will score. Heredia rounding third, and he will score. So Gene Segura extends his inning streak to 16 games. A base hit bounces it up the middle. Boog Powell from third comes in. Heredia from second. And the Mariners have a 3-0 lead. 16 games. That's a career high. Drove in two runs. Segura now batting 359 on the season. What a season he is having. Here's the skipper, Scott Service, after the game. Awesome, awesome outing by by Bergie tonight. Uh, really stepped up and you know was in total control uh, from the get go. Um, using both sides of the plate, uh, got a breaking ball over. I think it was career high in strikeouts for him. And um, you know we talked, you know before the game, uh, what we needed to do to kind of like give our bullpen a, a breather. And uh, you know it's going to take a while to get all those guys kind of caught up. But huge game tonight, um, you know by Bergie and then Pazos coming in, so we only had to. You know, use uh, two pitchers was was really really important, and you know, we won the series, and I think that's what we we talked about doing here, getting back home after a tough tough uh, few days in Toronto, and, and we did, and get the White Sox coming in. But uh, nice ball game tonight was kind of a normal game, and I think it was probably only the second time our starters got us into the eighth inning. It's been a while, so um, it was really can't say enough about the job he did. What what allowed him to be so good today? You know, I think just the command. He attacked the strike zone. He got him in swing mode. You know, he's not going to overpower you, but he's got late movement on the ball. You know, you can see it going both ways, the cutter and the sinker. He pitched inside very effectively, and then he elevated. You know, he's got some deception in there, running the ball up in the zone for some strikeouts. So uh, he's a strike thrower. You know, you don't get to where he's got in his career without just challenging guys and trusting your stuff. And uh, he did a great job tonight. There was some experience, too, a lot in the bullpen, but also the starts. So what was it just to have that experience? It's really important. There's no doubt. And I know he's survived. I think you know, spent some time at Coors Field. And if you can get through there and, and still be breathing, um, it says a lot, you know, with the stuff that he has and how he works it. So, uh, you know, huge shot in the arm for us. And. You know, again, we've asked all of our guys just keep us in the game, and uh, he did more than that tonight. He, he took over the game, and and uh, at a time we really needed. Hey, not a lot on offense, but they gave you a couple of chances, and you cashed them. Really did. Uh, I thought our at bats were good. Uh, we got the pitch count up on Han. Uh, we grinded it out. We got him, you know, 100 pitches or whatever after five. Uh, uh, it's a funny story. Ben Gamble's birthday today, and uh, he said to the guys earlier today, "I never get any hits on my birthday." Uh, after he got the first triple, they tell me that. Probably wouldn't have played him. <laughs> but no, he's been great for us. And, uh, you know, happy birthday for him. And got a couple big knocks and kind of picked it up. And, you know, situational hitting was really good tonight. Nelson Cruz did what he needed to do. That's why he's in the middle of our lineup. And, and he's a pro. Getting the guys in from third was really big. Mr. just seems to have a ability to put the bat on the ball. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's a really knack for the barrel and hitting all kinds of pitches. And sometimes it gets him in trouble because he hit, thinks he can hit every pitch. You know, but uh, he has got some kind of high-hand coordination, and uh, you know he's fun to watch. Fun to watch it. 
Brady ran down a couple tough balls in the gap there for you, too. Really did. Uh, you know, and Dice is always bragging about how he's the best center fielder in the league. Well, that might be the second best. <laughs> he's already gets great jumps. He does. He's a very uh, fundamentally sound uh, outfielder, and he's really into the game and that part of the game, which is huge. And you see the, the dividends. Left field, center field, doesn't matter where you put him. How much does Bergman start allow you to kind of reset the bullpen a little bit? It's, we're starting to get there. Uh, I think, you know, you just got to, like I talk about, day-to-day, kind of manage it. Um, you know, we got the length guys available um, to kind of run through some games. But we really want to keep those guys sharp. You see Pazos, the value of him having two days off tonight, really good versus trying to run him every night or every other night, you know. So, and we want to keep those guys sharp. Eventually, we are going to get healthy here. And when we do get healthy, you know, we want to make sure that we can put maybe, you know, a, a really good streak together. And you got to have those guys in the bullpen on top of their game. So there was the skipper reacting to a 4 nothing Mariners win. M's take the series over the A's, and they continue to play well at home overall. They've played some good baseball, and they'll try and continue that starting tonight against the White Sox. 7-10 first pitch against Chicago. In fact, 7-10 Thursday, 7-10 Friday, 7-10 Saturday, and then a 1-10 on Sunday So four against the White Sox, to give you a quick thumbnail of Chicago this year. They were one of the surprise teams early on in the season. They were off to a great start in the month of April. They finished April 13 and 10, three games above 500. May has been a different story, four and 10 so far in the month of May. They've been outscored by 11 runs so far in this month. Now, they've had a couple of injuries along the way, of course, you know, Uh, They will get no sympathy for the Mariners or Mariners fans, but they've had a couple of injuries to deal with. Uh, James Shields on the disabled list right now. Nate Jones, who is their tremendous setup man, is on the disabled list as well. Promising starter on there as well. The starting catcher, Giovanni Soto, on the disabled list. So you've had some injury woes to deal with. Offensively, Jose Abreu, still the man in the middle for the White Sox. He's belted six home runs this year, batting just 261 so far this season. Todd Frazier still hitting for some power, three long balls, five doubles, but a batting uh, batting a buck 76 so far this year and has fanned 21 times. Now what's exciting about the White Sox, something you can look for in this series, White Sox have done something this year that no major league team has ever done, and that is started an outfield where all three outfielders have the same last name. So you could see that again this series with the all-Garcia outfield. So look for that. That has never happened in Major League Baseball where an outfield with all three of the same last names have started. The Alou brothers for the Giants all played together one game, but two of the Alou brothers came off the bench. So... Look for that this weekend. In terms of the pitching staff, David Robertson in the back end has done a good job. You'd rather not see him trailing. In fact, their bullpen has been pretty good this year, fourth in ERA in the American League. Their starters have fallen to 10th in the American League. And, of course, you know, no Chris Sale in the rotation this year. They will have to face Jose Quintana, who's turned it around after a tough start. Mariners will see Dylan Covey in the first game of the series. Covey this year so far 0-3 with a 7-9-8 ERA. His last two starts, he's pitched four innings and four and a third innings. So the Mariners will try and take advantage of that. Friday, it's Jose Quintana, the ace of the staff, 
On Saturday, Mike Pelfrey will get the ball 0-4 with a 5-7-0. And then on Sunday, lefty Derek Holland, who the Mariners know well after spending years with the Texas Rangers, he's 3-3 with a 2-4-3. Sam Gavilio will make his Major League debut as a starter for the Mariners on Thursday. And then Friday, they'll turn to Ariel Miranda. Saturday, Giovanni Gallardo will get the call, and then we'll see what happens on Sunday with the Mariners' rotation. So M's and White Sox, Mariners playing some good ball at home and looking to keep that roll going against Chicago. Hope to see you at the yard over the weekend. Right now, let's give things over to Aaron Goldsmith, who caught up with Mark Mulder. Wait till you hear the end as he talks about facing Edgar Martinez. Mark, you were a major part of one of the greatest winning streaks in all of baseball history when in late summer of 2002, the Oakland Athletics won 20 consecutive games. You made four starts during that stretch, and you pitched no fewer than seven innings in each of those four starts. What do you remember the most about those 20 consecutive wins for your A's? Uh, first, I don't remember a lot of the first 13 or so games. Um, I can't tell you who we played. I think Tigers were part of that, but I don't really remember. Um, but I do remember... Nobody was talking about our winning streak because we were possibly going to go on strike. And there was the labor agreement. We finally settled it. And the next day, I think, was when we played, it was either win 14 or 15 or something like that. So no one was talking about our first 12, 13, 14, whatever it was, because it was all about the labor stuff. And um, so we started winning. And next thing you know, you win a couple, and then it's everywhere. You know, I mean, it blew up real quick. And... 17 through 20 I mean I just remember running up the stairs because we have 50 stairs up to our clubhouse in Oakland I just remember <laughs> running up those stairs which I think 18 19 and 20 were all walk-offs yeah. maybe or something like that just going with other pitchers just going are you kidding me did this just happen I mean some of the ways that we won I mean it, it essentially won Tejada the MVP I mean because I think he had two of those walk-offs it was just it was just crazy, and a lot of it I don't – a lot of the details I don't even remember because so many of those games were such a blur. I think I started win number 18, and I was up – I remember I was up by two runs. I know that, and I went out to finish the game in the ninth, and I think I gave up like back-to-back -back homers to tie it, something. And I just remember be, being so dejected, like, you got to be kidding me. Did I just do this? You know, because I had a lot of complete games, and I usually was good at finishing those games. And I just remember the ninth inning. I, I don't know if it was back-to-back -back or whatever it was. And I get taken out, and then Miggy ends up with a walk-off um, to win one of those. I think it was 18. But um, either way, it, it was just one of those experiences, man, that you'll just you'll never forget. What was it like for you watching the movie Moneyball? Because, of course, this is the season that that book and that movie was based on. Um, I thought the movie was really good. I really did. Um, the what it was based on. There was a lot of made-up things in there. You know, we had to pay for our drinks in the clubhouse, <laughs> and you know things like that. I mean, there were. I remember going, just watching it, going, "That didn't happen." But you get it's a movie. Right, sure. You know, um, my favorite thing that I wish the movie would have um, included. My favorite story from that winning streak was we win the twenty, we fly to Minnesota. Corey Lytle was pitching, and before the game, and I, th I forget who was pitching for the Twins, but David Justice gets up, kind of stands on a table, and is just like, guys, understand that we're doing something special here. He's, and he kind of gives this little talk to the team. And he, he's, he's like, you know, I've been fortunate enough, I've been on a lot of winning teams, talented teams, 
He goes, we're doing something that is so incredibly special. Enjoy this. We go out and we lose like five to two. And after the game, Justice comes in. He t- jumps up on that same table and there might have been a few cuss words involved, but he basically said, I'm never going to say another thing again in my life. Sorry. You know, and <laughs> boom, we turned on the music as if we won. It was, but that's the team that we had. We just won 20 in a row. So they're like, we, listen, we lost. We're going to enjoy this. You know, it's not that big of a deal that we lost. And it was, it was one of my favorite memories. Remarkably, in that 2002 season, Mark, you made all of one start against the Seattle Mariners. Now, the start of your season kind of coincided with the final few seasons of Edgar Martinez here in Seattle. What do you remember about facing Edgar? That I didn't want to face him. I mean, he was, I always knew where he was in the lineup. Uh, He was probably the last guy that I wanted to face in a big situation. Um, I I got him out a little bit later in his, towards the end. my, My first year or two, he owned me. 2000, 2001, he raked me. Um, especially in 2000, because I know I pitched against him a few times. But um, I had a little more success uh, as, I, as I went along. But, you know, he, he kind of gets up there, and we, we used to joke in the dugout, like he, 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 he really, you know, his eyes were a little kind of lazy almost and just wiggling that bat. And all of a sudden, here comes the pitch, and it was like, bing, the eyes open and whack. You know, and we always joked about it, little sleepy Edgar, you know, and things like that. But it was just uh, – it was a challenge, you know, because he was so good the way he drove the ball the other way and used the entire field. You couldn't really get in on him, but yet you had to. You had to pitch him in in order to have anything. You couldn't throw anything on the outer half if you didn't throw strikes on the ins- on the inner half. So that's essentially what made him so difficult. Mark, this has really been a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time, and welcome to Seattle. Thank you. And now it's time for Rick Riz with John McLaren chance to visit with uh, right now he's the bullpen coach and working with the catchers for the Philadelphia Phillies longtime coach former Mariner manager John McLaren Mac it's great to see you buddy thanks a lot for joining us you know what my face lit up when I saw you Rick uh, <laughs> so many great memories and uh, a lot of good times a lot of good times let's talk about those good times you sat next to stood next to Lupinello for many many years uh, the great 1995 season, managing Seattle. What were some of your fondest memories in a Mariners uniform, Mac? You know, first thing I think about when I think about my Seattle days is associations and the people, the players that we had. Just one outstanding person after another, from the ownership down to uh, clubhouse guys. You know, you think of Jay Buner and Griffey and Rodriguez and Edgar and. Uh, Alex and uh, Randy Johnson and, uh, you know, just Mike Cameron, Mark Mark McLemore, just on and on and on. And just the way they treated each other and the way they pushed each other. And it was just special people. I think that was one of the keys to, to why we had good success. Ken Griffey Jr. slams into the wall on May the 29th, 1995, shatters his wrist. It takes a plate and seven screws to put him back. He's gone for three months. When that happened, Mac, you were inside that dugout at the Kingdom. What went through your mind? When the best player in baseball goes down, you, your heart sinks. That's a huge void. Uh, I knew that someone else was going to get an opportunity, but he wasn't Ken Griffey Jr. As it turns out, luckily we had the wild card. You know, I can almost remember we had a meeting in 
Lou Pinella was just, you know, just pushing the troops a little bit. And he says, you know, we got the wild card. He says, we can get in here. And I remember Jay Buhner says, mm -hmm. hell with the wild card. We're going to win the West. Fused to lose. Remember that? Oh, absolutely. That was that was very special. The, what I remember is in the kingdom is how everybody got to their feet with two strikes. It just, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, in September, it was just uh, one crowd after the other, just 55,000. And they, yeah. they pushed us. There's no question that they were, were very key uh, for us to uh, do what we did. Mac, you spent a lot of time with, with Lou Pinella, obviously. And Lou went through a lot of pitching coaches, but you were always there. You were a constant with Lou Pinella. What, what do you think made your relationship so special with a guy who wanted to do one thing, and that was the win? I treasure my uh, relationship with Lou. Um, I, I enjoy going to war with him every night. Um, I think the the real key for Lou and I is me being totally honest with him. And there were some times when uh, it was very difficult because there were, you know, I had to tell him that he, maybe he he was a little out of line because he wanted my opinion, and I always gave him an honest opinion. And uh, he got on me a little bit, but I, you know what? If I always told young players, if you stand up to Lou, you'll have a good relationship with him. I, I tell you, one thing about Lou, because I actually asked him, I said, Lou, you know, you've got this reputation with young players. How, how do you feel about that? You intimidate some of them. He says, Mac, if they can't handle me, they're not going to handle the ninth inning when the game's on the line. He says, I test them from the very get-go. So I always told young players, stand up to him, hold your ground, and uh, he'll respect you and he'll leave you alone. And I remember taking Dan Wilson in the back room. Uh -huh. And, you know, Dan and I were with Lou in Cincinnati in 92. So when Dan came over, you know, Lou was tough on catchers. There's a story behind that, too. Yeah. But I took Dan in the back room, in the weight room in the Kingdome, and I said, Dan, you respect me? He said, oh, yeah, Mac to the fullest. I says, will you do me a favor? Yeah, anything. I said, when Lou gets on to you tonight, I want you to get in his face. And I, I used a couple choice words. <laughs> you know how Dan was. I can't Andy's do that. low-key guy. <laughs> I can't do that, Mac. But two people I can think of that handled Lou that weren't get-in-your-face type guys were Dan Wilson and, and Brian Price. And they did it their way, and it worked out great. You know, like I said, that, that whole time frame in Seattle was just about people. It was all what it was about. What about the conversations you had on the baseball side from the seventh inning on, managing that game, you alongside, and you helping Lou make some big decisions, especially in that 95 season? First of all, Lou, Lou Pinella is one of the smartest people I've ever been around. His intelligence is extremely high. He would ask me a question, and he always put it, what would you do here, Mac? I, I would tell him. A lot of times, majority of the time, it's just to reaffirm what he was thinking, and yeah. that's what he wanted. If it was something he wasn't thinking, it made him think a little bit more. That's what you, I just tried to give him enough time to sort through things where he had to make the decision. It wasn't spontaneous because sometimes when it was spontaneous, Lou was such an aggressive guy, he was always on the offense. So I, I always gave him time to try to sort through it and think about it. And then, Mac, I remember telling you one time we were in Texas, we did an interview. I think you're going to manage a ball club one day, and you did, the Seattle Mariners. Yep. Tell us a little bit about your time as the skipper of the ball club. Very big moment in my life, very proud. Uh, it didn't work out the way that everybody thought, especially myself, but the opportunity uh, to manage at the highest level was an absolute honor. One thing I've always said, Seattle's fans are tremendous, and the support of ownership was great. It didn't work. I tried everything, and it just didn't work. You know, when I left, I thanked everybody, and to this day, I felt like that whatever 
happened, it just didn't work. You know, we all went on with our lives, and I've had several chapters to, to probably new books since then, but my time there is uh, so special. i tell you what, Mac, our time was special because you were there. We were so happy and so fortunate that you were in a Seattle Mariners uniform, longtime coach, and as a manager, and I tell you what, you made it fun for us, especially that run in 1995. Thanks a lot for joining us here on the Mariners 40th anniversary interviews. Well, I appreciate it, Rick, and I just have one one thought. Yeah. My, oh, my. <laughs> the wind of the pitch on the way to Edgar Martinez. Fastball belted deep to left center field, and that will fly, fly away. That's over the aisle way, way in deep left center field. That's over. 420 feet, I'll guarantee you. What a bolt by Edgar Martinez. I have never seen him this high. See you later!